Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody, it's Jody Katz again here with Where Brains Meet Beauty, the podcast. Today, I'm excited to say we're joined by Tim Quinn. He is the VP Creative Artistry of Armani Beauty at L'Oreal. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Hey, good morning. Thank you. It's so nice to meet you face to face. I know. I feel like I know you already. Well, um, we need to give a shout out to Jenny, um, our mutual friend who connected us together. She's going to kill me. I was in Westchester again and didn't call her. Um, So she's a friend of yours for a long time and mine for... um, a long time as well, and I, I want to thank her for connecting us together. Yeah, she's so cool. Um, so, you know, you're a very interesting story, Tim, and we probably don't have as, enough time to give it justice. But um, let's start with this simple stuff. What is it that you do now as a VP of Creative Artistry? So my job is um, mainly in the U.S. I'm kind of like the front man for the beauty brand, so I do all our press and PR and all things like that. I'm a makeup artist, essentially. So I'm the makeup artist for uh, the U.S. I do our celebrities. Um, I do personal appearances in the stores. Um, I work and train with some of our younger artists coming up. Depends on the day. It could, you know, changes uh, from moment to moment. And how often are you traveling for this job? Oh, pretty much every day. Like I, in the last two weeks, I've been from Milan to New York to Boca, to San Francisco, back to Connecticut to speak, and then to San Diego and now here. So this has been your lifestyle for quite some time, right? For the last 16 years, So yeah. for 16 years, you live out of a suitcase. Pretty much, and, pretty much. And you have your favorite hotels in, your, in the cities that you visit often. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what does that do to you? Like, how do you manage that, um, I guess, constant movement um, as just like inside your soul? How do you, how do you deal with it? Oh, I, well, I find actually it's when I stop moving, I kind of have the, the trouble. So, <laughs> um, you know, I've been really fortunate. I have amazing friends pretty much all over the world. So there's virtually nowhere I go that I don't have, you know, somebody I can have dinner with or catch up with. And I find that to me really exciting because it's kind of like you're in people's lives, but not really. So when you pop back in, you know, it's like you're always excited to see somebody you haven't seen in a while. So you, I, never get, I never get too tiresome on people, I think. And um, I would assume that when you see your friends again after it's been a year or six months, it's like you picked up where you left off. Oh, absolutely. And of course, you know, it's so much easier now because of like social media. So you, you don't feel like you're ever really far, far away from someone, you know, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, you, you kind of know their life. But when you're actually there, like in person, it's it's much more fun. So from, from a makeup artist perspective, I'd assume that um, many of our listeners who are makeup artists would see that your job is sort of the dream job. Right, you're right, being right. <laughs> you're hired and paid for your expertise and your focus, and then you, um, it's not like the life of a freelance makeup artist anymore, right? Right, you right. Have- so you're not, you know, I, I think because I, I get asked that question a lot from from our, especially we do a beauty summit once a year for all our makeup artists. Um, it, it is, I mean, to me, it's a total dream job. Um, you know, there's so many benefits to being freelance, but there's also this comfort is out alone. You know what I mean? Like, I don't worry about booking another job or you don't have to hustle so much. Right. Um, just yesterday, I interviewed for the podcast Linda Mason, who um, is a longtime makeup artist. She was yeah. in the 70s doing this stuff. Um, and we spoke about the lifestyle of a freelancer. And um, I speak about it with a makeup artist we hire. And it's it's taxing, um, right? You always have to be ready to go, but you don't know when your next job is. Yeah. And, and you don't know what it might be or, or if it's coming or, you know, um, 
you have to always be nice. I mean, you have to be always be nice in my job as well, but you never want to offend anybody because you don't know if that might be your next booking. You know, that's right, right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the job as a makeup artist for Armani. So you work on famous faces. Um, are you? Um, do you still get excited to meet famous people, or does it feel like an everyday kind of thing at this point? I mean, honestly, sometimes I feel like it's just another client, but there are certain people I get, you know a little dumbstruck by or something. Uh, mainly because it, it's more not because of their star quality, it's because you get to see who they really are beyond all that stuff. And I think that's one of the dream things about being a makeup artist is whoever the client is. You know, once you start interacting with them, you, you get to really, you know, weed through all the, the artifice and see who, who that little person is inside that's so amazing. Right. I love this idea of the fact that you get to see the human side of these people that we only see the, you know, the the shiny. Yeah, yeah. Picture. And that's why a lot of times you have to sign, you know, non-disclosures and things. <laughs> Sometimes you see a little too much human, but yeah, it's definitely it's it's a really fun well, it's like a you know, being a therapist in a way. Yes. I would assume and tell me if I'm right, that everybody who sits in your chair gets a little bit of that moment of like, well, this isn't right or, you know, this this feels weird for me now, where they, they kind of show um I guess their insecurities. You know, oh, are really oh, 100%. Willing. And, you know, part of, I mean, I think one of the things that I've been able to develop and I'm so good at is kind of reading the vibe rather than trying to force something. You know, I'm not the kind of artist that, like, you're going to get my image of you whether you like it or not. You know, right. it's got to be somewhat, um, you know, a, a partnership because, you know, you're dealing with somebody who's been living with that face, you know, for 30, 40, 50 years. So <laughs> <laughs> they don't necessarily want to reinvent it for the one moment. Right. It's such an intimate experience, right? Between oh, makeup artist and client. You know, they're, they're letting you see see them without all that, you know, especially when you, with um, celebrities, you know, like they're so controlling of their image. And then, you know, sometimes I walk in, I mean, I've walked past somebody who opened the door and didn't realize it was actually the person I was there working on, you know? <laughs> Right. Um, you, you know, what is the experience when it's just a regular person at, you know, a, a department store who sits down in your chair? Is it is it very different? Um, it's different in, uh, only in that, I mean, they're all, he- we're all human, you know, and they're all, those women that usually come to see me when I do these personal appearances come with more specific thing in mind, whether it's, you know, they want to improve their appearance, maybe they're going through, uh, you know, more times than not, there's something happening in their life that they need to change, whether they're divorced or they met a new guy or they're going through you know, a sickness or they're recovering. There's usually some underlying reason. And to me, that's always the most interesting thing is to have those few moments to connect and figure out what that is. And then, of course, there's always a million beauty questions. Right. But, you know. That's so cool. So let's talk, let's talk about your story. How is yeah. it that you became a makeup artist? You know, 100% not clear. <laughs> 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 because I, I get that. So I think even when we chatted, you know, I, I don't know that it was ever like a uh, dream of mine, we'll say, right? Um, but I went to school and I had a degree in economics. And when I graduated, I, re- I do remember that I did go on an interview for one of the cosmetic companies. I thought, oh, that'd be kind of cool. And at the time, I had a fiancé, and she thought that would not be cool. So I ended up working for Merrill Lynch. I went and did that for a couple of years. It wasn't really for me. And then, as you know, I think it's, it's just as I started to develop you know, my personality, I realized there's a whole world out there. So you know, I dove into I actually bought an ice cream store in Florida, which was a stupid mistake. You owned an ice cream store in Florida? Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. And you um, like were the operator, like you were scooping ice cream? Well, yes and no. I mean, like it was one of those homemade, like, you know, with those churned things or whatever. Um and one of my college roommates came down. He was kind of into it. But in my head, I was like, oh, I'll just have that happening during the day and hire kids or whatever and go play tennis. But that was really nice. I actually think it's a really good plan. <laughs> it sounds it. But, you know, like from, from going, um, 
working at Merrill Lynch where it was like you're constantly stimulated. Now, of course, not by kind of stimulation now that I would be interested in, um, to then just like, you know, people on vacation coming in to get the, you know, the perfect cone. I was like, this could not be my life forever. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of ran away from that. Um, I ended up in Milan. I can't even remember what year. Um, and that's where like, like this whole other world opened Wait, up. Wait, l- okay, let's go back. You ended up in Milan. What does that mean? So I, I had the ice cream store. I, I can't remember exactly how all the timing worked. Um, my fiance and I broke up. You know, of course, then you know, within a year or two, I soon discovered that was not the path I wanted. But I had gone back to Connecticut. I was kind of bouncing around trying to figure out what I was going to do next. I was modeling, um, and I thought, you know, what's the, what's the harm in going to Italy? I'd never actually been there. Um, and I was there for quite some time and having fun. And so you're just going there for vacation. Just like I was going there to work. I wanted to, I thought, like, well, I really want to be a model. Oh, know? okay. Uh-huh. But when I got there, I didn't. There was this whole world of photography and makeup artists and the hairstylists, and you know, I started to develop a little more diverse group of friends. And I thought, well, this is really more my speed. Mm-hmm. You know, like I could be in this world. And I just started saying yes. If somebody's asked me, could I do something? You know, I was like, you know, PA here. I went and worked on the ESPY award. Or the, no, the first extreme games in Rhode Island is a you know PA. Um, I came back one time. Somebody asked me, well, could I you know do makeup for Longcomb for this big event? They needed a guy because somebody was sick or whatever. I'm like, oh yeah. I what do you know. mean do makeup? Like be the makeup like, artist? Yeah, like you know a person. Like at that time, it was like the national makeup artist, something for for Longcomb. Um, but you weren't a makeup artist at that point? Not really. I mean, I was I was kind of learning behind the scenes, but more like, you know, when you're assisting, it's different. And also, you know, doing, you know, editorial and runway is totally different than, than makeup in a department store because the, the real aim is, you know, you're obviously trying to sell. Right. Um, and I'm definitely not a salesperson. So I thought, well, this is never going to work. But they just wanted like an image so they could present that. So I would actually be with the client and the, the makeup artist was standing behind them and kind of like guide me. And... You know, like painting is painting. Like you could like make somebody look good. And like once I kind of got the hang of it, but it was hard because I didn't know the product. You know, so I'd pick something up and I mean, put the wrong mask on somebody or whatever. Right. But, you know, okay. So that. you were in Milan. You were mo- there modeling, but then you picked up like you know random jobs, yeah. and you were basically like apprenticing makeup artists because you're on set so much. Yeah, and I, I like to learn. So I've always been intrigued by movies and. Um, you know, I never forget the first thing I wanted to know how to do like Marilyn's eye, you know, because she had the iconic eye look, you know, whatever. So like those little things were so much fun. And I thought, well, I could see myself doing this. And then of course I had to come back home because, you know, you can't stay away forever. Um, and things just started kind of like happening. People would ask me, would, you know, so I did this one thing for Lancome and then that kind of turned into actually ended up being pretty good at it. So that it. was a paid job. That, that was, was a paid legit. job, uh-huh. yeah. But you were not, um, like, you never went to school for being a makeup artist. No, I mean, I, you know, apprenticed at Super Studios in Milan. Like, you know, I, and I kind of just picked it up, you know, and I saw, like, I can make this happen. And then, you know, there was, like, uh, um, the Borghese, which is an Italian brand. My friend was the head of sales for it. He's like, oh, can't you come do, because they knew I was doing this thing for a long time. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can totally do Borghese. It's, like, really, yeah, I like the whole, you know, spa quality of it. Um and I started doing that, and I really had fun with that. And then one of my other friends is a marketing director for Jose Cuervo, and she called me and said, could you come to L.A. and spend six months traveling in a hot air balloon? <laughs> and we're doing, like, these amazing bar parties, and that was a time with a Macarena that day. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So <laughs> yeah. the call was, come spend six months in a hot air balloon. I mean, not... Right, with a hot air yeah, balloon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because it, this is a, a marketing initiative and we need right. a makeup artist. Because what they were doing, little now, all these things end up coming full circle in my life. But the um, at the time, 1800, the, the Cuervo was doing a promotion for Mexican art. So they were promoting Mexican art in various 
like, well, actually, it wasn't all just California, but that was spelled. Um, and what we would do is we'd land in a hot air balloon, and then we'd go to this amazing, you know, bar, restaurant, whatever, and the, the artist would be there, and he'd have this big canvas, and he'd start a painting, and if you wanted to join in on the canvas, you paid, like, a donation, which went to, you know, support the Mexican arts. And at the end of the night, they'd auction off these um, marvelous, you know, canvases. It became, like, this, you know, cooperative thing. So I think I, th- I thought it'd be fun because it was kind of painting, um, but you know, why did they need a makeup artist? Well, they didn't really. My friend who was the head of <laughs> uh-huh. marketing for them thought I needed to get out of my life again. You know what I mean? She uh-huh. was like, I could see where she was, thought I was going to get stuck. Like, not that there's anything wrong with Connecticut, but she wanted me to like keep exploring. Oh, I just turned something off. Um, so I don't know where that happened, but I did that for like, I don't know how long it was. And then I ended up booking a movie off of it. All right. So, but you were a makeup artist in this hot air balloon marketing initiative. This right. So I was happening. doing this thing and then I would do some makeup on the side and my friend Mora, who's now produces the SB Awards every year, her brother was producing a movie in LA and she's like, oh my God, you can stay and be the makeup artist on it. I'm like, all right. Which I did for about two minutes and realized that that's entirely not my world. So it sounds like your friends are really taking care of you and guiding you along through these opportunities. Yeah. You know, I, I at one... Um, it was a dream ball for cancer like a few years back. I was a dream boy. And I remember they asked me like, what was like your motto, you know, whatever. And I remember very clearly when I was a kid, my aunt from Florida gave me a t-shirt, bright yellow, and it had a little ladybug walking across it. And it said like, I get by with a little help from my friends. <laughs> and I kind of like took that to heart because I feel like, you know, I developed these friendships all over. And, you know, you like to be with people you like to be with, right. you know, it's like even with what's work now, I like to surround myself with people I can have fun with. Because it makes the job all that much more fun. Of course, sure. And that's kind of what happened. Um, so you worked on the film, well, Hot Air Balloon film. Did the film. So you are like for sure legit working makeup artist. Yeah, I know. I was actually, I and by taking those two jobs out of here, I kind of took myself out of the Borghese a while, you know, so they were a little annoyed. But I thought that maybe the movie thing would be really fun. I ended up being the production quarter on the film because oh. being a makeup artist on the film is so boring. Not not to downplay it for somebody else, but for me, I need to be stimulated right, all the time. Because there's so much downtime. Oh my God, like 12 hours, you know, mm-hmm. on a set out in the middle of a field. I was like, this is not going to work. Mm-hmm. But it was good because I kind of was able to like find more of the niches I liked. And then, you know, the the people I met, I met some actresses then. Um, the star was Henry Thomas from E.T. And oh, like, right. you know, so like these people kind of like started helping me find things that I might like to do. And that's kind of where it all came from. So, um, you know, you told me that you are a cancer survivor of 10 right. years. Um, and I imagine um, your friends played a role in, in your in your treatment and um, oh, yeah. while you're going through that. Can you give us a little background on what happens? Because I think this is going to resonate with a lot of our listeners. Well, I find that, you know, first of all, we have to listen to our bodies, which I didn't do. Um, and I was traveling then just as much, if not more. And I kept having these sciatic pains. So and I'll never forget one of my friends in L.A., who produced a lot of TV shows, his father's a doctor. You know, never, Why would I go to a doctor to talk to a friend whose father is one? Right. Uh, and he said, oh, you probably have coach class syndrome. I'm like, what? Because they're sitting on planes, so right. far, and I'm tall, and I'm thin. I'm like, oh, all right. So I went to a doctor in Florida who gave me like muscle relaxers. But you know, in, in, a, in a month, it went from, you know, I was having shooting pains when I would go running to like I couldn't sit still till I was in Milan. No, I was in Paris for Fashion Week, and my leg collapsed. <gasps> So it was like a very quick, oh my gosh, you know, time frame. Um, so you were um, at work or in a hotel room when you I was like- in the hotel getting ready for the show, uh-huh. and then I literally I pulled the um, towel bar right out of the wall because the pain, <gasps> like sciatic pain, I never had it before. But when it comes on, it's like so 
excruciating that it kind of catches you off guard. So I literally just pulled the thing out. And then um, I had to call my friends back here in the U.S. and say, you know, I think there's a problem. So I have some amazing friends. And, you know, Andrea Mitchell from NBC was incredible. She got me into um, UPenn to see a neurologist, like literally in a minute. I met with them. We go through the whole thing. And they said, oh, you, pr- you have a tumor. It was like in my sacrum. But it doesn't seem pressing. You know, it's like not an emergency. Come back in a month. So I went back to Florida. But in that month, and this is what I, you know, I've learned since, is that you know, if your body's telling you something, you have to tell the doctors. Right. So I, it's a point where I couldn't even get off the floor. Like I was in so much pain, I couldn't sit up, I couldn't stand. And I should have, you know, in retrospect, you know, called the doctor and said, I think something's wrong. But instead, I just waited for the mm-hmm. the date. How old were you at this point? So I was uh, just about forty mm-hmm. or forty. I think I was forty. Um, so it was easy at that point to just be like, well, whatever, the doctors know what they're doing and I'll just wait. Yeah. And I mean, I'd never been sick before. I never had any kind of issues. So it, it didn't, I don't know, I guess in my head it didn't seem that odd. Plus they, at this point they'd put me on Oxycontin, mm. which kind of like makes your whole day just go away. Like, I don't know how or why people would want to take it. Um, and then finally the date arrived, I couldn't get on a plane, you know, and I have friends who were, you know, offering planes to get me there, but I was, I, I was in so much pain. Plus at this point now I'm scared. So I didn't really want to leave my house. Right. And I convinced my little brother, I, I traded in my car when I went back later and found out they said it was the most bizarre thing they'd ever seen, but I had a Jaguar that I loved. Apparently I traded in like, you know, in a moment lying on the floor in the dealership on a Mercedes wagon because I figured at least I could lay down and Michael could drive me. Oh my goodness. So that's what So he you did. were in such desperation that you like sought out a car so that you can get driven to uh-huh. the hospital. But in my head, like... I, you know, I've always been this kind of person, even though I don't know where it comes from, but like, I wanted everything to be fancy. Like I figured, if I, was, if, I figured like, if this is my last road trip, then I had a whole plan. I had all these amazing air tape, you know, Hermes blankets and Ralph Lauren picnic pad. Like my brother, who was so not that person who knows Jenny quite well, was like, okay, I'm just going to drive this nut there. So you, did you really think it might be your last car ride? Is that, is that? Well, like, I think in my head, was? I did think like there was something like, I didn't want to admit it, but I thought there was something really bad. And I, you know, went to UPenn. They scheduled me for surgery. I went right in. And, you know, this is what what my friends come through. Like, I'd never, I never asked for help in that level. I didn't have anything that that wrong before. I woke up and I had literally like a sea of flowers. Mm. And he was in like the VIP room, whatever. And the doctor came in and they thought they were just going to remove this tumor. And like, you know, I was going back to work in a week. Right. And that's when he said, well, actually it's malignant. We've never seen anything like it. And we couldn't remove it because... It was all around my um, main artery, so I would never walk. Oh, my leg. God. So that's when it really hit me, you know. But so you had surgery, but they didn't actually remove anything. They just ended up taking a, a small dissection and, yeah. and, you know, mainly to, to biopsy and find out what it was. So, but the, just a little bit they did remove helped it so I could actually walk at mm-hmm. least. So then, you know, they said, well, we'll figure it out. I went back to Florida. And all this time, my partner in Boston kept saying, please just come to Boston. You know, we have the best hospitals. Come to the cancer center here, blah, blah, blah. Because once we knew it was cancer... Um, and I really didn't want to, because now I really thought like, now I've got to get my affairs in order. Like this is not, you know, a good sign. Um, and finally, I don't remember how he finally convinced me to go. And I did get on a plane and I ended up at Mass General and I walked in there, well, with crutches. Um, and literally in, in 20 minutes, the doctor, Dr. Lee now, who has become a very dear friend said, there's something not right about your, what they're telling you. Let me do another biopsy. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, I'm not going through surgery again. You know? uh-huh. But they did a needle-driven biopsy. So now I know so much about this I didn't know. You know, I never forget, I went in with the little mask, the little mask for you get on a plane, like just because I didn't want to see the oh, needle uh-huh. and a little stuffed animal. Um, and you know, in, the, in a day, they had the diagnosis, and it turned out being testicular cancer in my pelvis. 
which they weren't looking for because I was not in the age range, you know, kind of outside the age. And, you know, I've learned now, I didn't know that you can have, you know, breast cancer in your bones. Like, I didn't know it doesn't have to necessarily manifest where the name comes from. Right. So once they had the diagnosis, you know, and then I kind of knew what I was dealing with, like anything, you can have a better plan. And that's how I got all ended up. So what was the plan? What, what happened then? So I, ended up, um, I had to stay in Boston, which I really didn't want to do um, because I like to be at the beach and whatever, whatever. So I ended up taking a nine-week course of chemo. So I'd be in the hospital for a week and then go home for two weeks with, you know, like, so your body basically kind of bounced back from the chemicals. And then uh, I did that for nine weeks and then I did a month of radi- radiation um, but, you know, he was very clear, Dr. Lee was very clear, like, that it was very treatable. They don't use the word cure so much, but right. he said, I think you're you're going to be fine if we just, you know, have to really battle through this. And, you know, I'm pretty strong about things. So, I mean, I didn't like it, you know, having no hair and not being tan and being like 30 pounds lighter. But I had this whole army of friends, you know, who were so amazing. Um, and, this is, and this is 10 years ago. So we didn't have Facebook, mm-hmm. Instagram, all that. It was mainly like email or right. phone and you know i you know i was a l'oreal so the hipaa laws they don't allow you to like they can't tell your coworkers what's going on and all of a sudden i disappear for like a year but my sister was in charge of managing people mm-hmm. so i gave her like you know like a notebook of emails of people i'm like just keep them all kind of like in the loop because i don't want to be like answering questions all day because i was really you know pretty sick um but what was funny was she did sign up send up like a mass email in the beginning to all these people who don't know each other from really different worlds, mm-hmm. from like celebrity to like, you know, a high school friend to my housekeeper in Florida, you know, an aunt who I've now developed I didn't know was my aunt. And it was fun like watching this dynamic happening of people who just want to help. And all, all I really want to do is get out of there. So I just, you know, set up my little makeup shop in my room and, you know, had people come in for touch-ups. So other patients would come into your hospital room for makeup touch-ups? Or I'd go to them okay. because I didn't like... There was a very specific spot. Now we have a whole new cancer center that has your own room. Um, but there was a sunny spot I would set up in, and I kind of like, it was like the doctor's in kind of thing. Right. Um, and the nurses, you know, it was kind of fun in that way. I had to make it fun. And they liked the whole like Hollywood talk, you know, it was like Gossip Central. It was fun. So um, wait, let's, let's talk logistics for a second. While you're going through this, somehow you managed to bring your kit with you to Boston? So I had poor Isaac. I, he, he had to bring me, because I had gift bags too. So it was kind of like, I had various drawers that had, you know, depending on like ABC list, depending who did what. And, you know, I contacted all my friends and all the, you know, various divisions of L'Oreal and I had the best stuff, you know. So it was like, you know, whoever, the, like the woman who took your blood, the phlebotomist, like that lady was like, A, because if she got the needle right, uh-huh. you know, whatever. <laughs> so she'd get like the most prestige fragrance or something? Yeah. Uh-huh. And I had stuff for men too, because I was obviously in the men's division or right. whatever you want to call it. So, the, and the guys were kind of like, well, how come your skin still looks good? You know, after like, because after a while, like it starts to take effect on you, you know, mm. like your skin looks sallow, you lose your hair, your eyebrows, whatever. So I knew how to like a little bag of tricks so I could figure it out. So t- tell me about the experience of working um, on women and men in a cancer ward as a makeup artist, because you're trying to make this fun and you're trying to, I guess, bring a little bit of your your, se- yourself of s- your sense of self into right. this experience. Um, what was it like, you know, seeing their reaction to having the, you know, you touch their faces and... It, well, I mean, it was, it, it took something that I did, I had taken for granted, like my job, and made it much more real in... Um, 
because it validated more of what I did because I was beginning to feel like, well, when I get out of this, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to do something that's more life-changing or whatever, you know, um, like an Oprah moment. Right. Um, but while it was happening, I was realizing, especially watching the families, it's always, you know, for me, I always say like, it was tougher on my family that was on me because you're so drugged and medicated or whatever, like you just, you know, the physical ravages are fine, but like mentally I could see it in the other people. So by kind of like, helping you get back to who you were for a little bit, it made the other people in the room feel more comfortable, mm, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I see that still to this day. It's like, you know, I was lucky I didn't have to work during that time, but some of those people I was, you know, being treated with had to go to work every day. Right. You know, and that's that's really difficult when you, you already, you know, when you feel like you don't look your best, you kind of like don't act your best. Right. So that's how I got more involved in like, you know, look and feel better in those kind of programs because I thought this actually has a really terrific value to people. Because it takes something that we take for granted, like, oh, it's a new lipstick, or, you know, like, but when your skin and you feel like you kind of look like you're not, for me, you know, I think I told you that, like, it was the first time I felt like people looked at me kind of like almost like um, a victim or something. Like, I'd get in the hotel, you know, and go to the lobby in the elevator, and people kind of like, do this thing where they pull away That's a little, right. you know, or they don't look in you in the eyes. And I was so not used to that that I was like, oh my God, this is so strange. I have to figure out a way to make this better. Right. So connecting the, your um, peer patients with beauty again, um, you think it helped them normalize their experience a little bit? It, and it, what it did, because um, I was at this time too, I, you're too young to know, but Farrah Fawcett was like one of the original Charlie's Angels. She was going through her cancer treatment. We were friends. And she wanted me to come with her. And this, we used to talk about that, you know, because here's a woman who's iconically beautiful. Right. And it was making people uncomfortable and it was making her feel uncomfortable to not look as you know, like expect. So I felt like when I was, even with the, even with the guys, it was kind of like, it helped them in a way that it, it took them out of their head for a minute, you know, because it's playful and it's fun or whatever, you know, put a mask on. Um, of course, everything had to be, you know, based on what drugs they were on because you can have a reaction to things. But those those moments, um, and I, I've always thought that is with, with cancer treatments especially, is that the medicine's going to do its thing, but it's the other, you know, side of like where they had acupuncture and they had amazing people who come in and massage your feet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the little bit of what I would do with makeup or give them a, a gift that, you know, it just kind of changed things for right. them mentally. So how do you, um, you said you contribute today with cancer patients? So uh, from that day, like I literally, so once a year, I master general especially, I go back and I work with all the oncology nurses. I bring okay. a whole team of makeup artists and we make it like a red carpet day. Oh my goodness. So Tell they me about sign this. up. It's so much fun. I think this will be seventh or eighth year. Um, it kind of grew, like it's exponentially. But basically they sign up. Now it's like a lottery because there's so many nurses, we can only see so many. And they come in and I have a whole team. We all volunteer. We have gift bags for them. We have a photographer. There's like a step and repeat, um, you know, drinks and snacks and all that. And it's really fun for them because, you know, it, it takes them out of their day a little too. And to me, like the nurses were the most incredible people because, you know, the doctors are awesome, but they're there to see you for five minutes. You know, the nurses, they're 12 or 14 hour shifts. Right. And, you know, that's a really tough job. And they're absorbing all this energy from people. And this was like, it's a great way for us to give it back. And, you know, I've, I've actually more makeup artists volunteer than I need sometimes because the space is limited. So we do that. And then there's another program I do in two weeks with that hospital as well, where they actually do a fashion show where they have cancer patients walk with their doctors. Oh, my so goodness. Fun, I mean, that event is like heart-wrenching because they always have the one child there or something to me, like, you know, even when I was being treated, you know, seeing children have cancer is just awful. Um, but you see like their parents in the audience and they get so excited because they're on the red carpet and whatever. Um, 
you know, and then I do all these other things, all depending on where I go. So in LA, I'm very involved with the Farrah Fawcett Foundation now because she left her estate to cancer research. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm fortunate I get to you know work with Stand Up to Cancer, um, the American Cancer. Like I don't know, so people know like they can call me and I'll like have an answer. And I had this one amazing nurse friend in Boston who you know I must get at least unfortunately ten or fifteen calls a month of somebody's in desperate like oh my father my brother my sister my mother and I direct them all to Kathleen I'm like all right Kathleen you've got to play triage you know is there a doctor they should be seeing are they getting the right because I don't have those kind of answers right you know um, how phenomenal that you're able to um, you know move not just forward for yourself, but that you're really contributing to other people's well-being in this way. That's what we're supposed to do, right? I think that, you know, I talked about that with with the kids in the the Last Beauty Summit because when they were asking me when you were saying before, like, people want to be me or whatever, I'm like, I actually don't even know how I became me, and that's such a bizarre question. I said, but to me what was interesting was that I've learned over time that these, you know, core values play out and you'll be successful if you just live that way. You know, I think we get so caught up in like finding the right job or it's just going to be yes. like the client for me or whatever. It's like, it's not always about the other person. It's kind of like who you are inside that eventually leads you on the right path. Uh, you know, I just find it so interesting that at the moment that you're dealing with cancer in the hospital, you're thinking that like, I'm going to have to have a new career after this. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was convinced. This doesn't feel like right anymore. And yet you were able to see how um, incredibly impactful um, giving someone a little bit of attention and letting them give themselves a little attention in terms of a a beauty routine, how impactful it is in, in their soul. Oh, it's, 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 it's actually, you know, it reminds me all the time. I, I say that, like, I love my job and I love, you know, working with, with Mr. Armani and with L'Oreal. And but it, all, what it does is it affords me the luxury to be able to do what my real passion is, and that's doing all these things. Like, I was in San Francisco last week at Shriners Hospital, which is a hospital for children. I didn't know much about it. They asked me to come and, you know, do a thing. And that hospital, and there's several of them, no child is turned away regardless if, you know, they can't pay, whatever. They had two of the young ladies who'd been treated there come and speak with me. One young lady had been horribly um, disfigured from scoliosis and was treated there over the years. And do you know she's on America's Next Top Model last year, like a oh, fourth runner-up? no way. And watching this, you know, young woman who, you know, through the help of other people, became this beautiful and talented, you know, swan, and there was another young girl there who was actually born with only one arm, and the arm from the other had no arm from the, the like elbow down. And they worked with her over the years. So every time she wanted to do something, the engineers would develop some new arm for her that could actually do it. You know, throw a ball, whatever it was. She graduated from Harvard, and now she's back in, at Google. You know, I think she's an engineer, but she does all this to give back too because she thought like. If it weren't for these people doing this, I wouldn't be the woman I am. So, you know, kind of keeps bringing it back. It's incredible, Tim. Um, you mentioned to me um, this idea of the ladybug, right? Yeah, yeah. Climbing up your shirt and your friends are helping you. But look at how it's be- what it's become, right? You've, you've become that oh, yeah. person to yeah. so many. It's great. I mean, I think that I mean, that's what makes me come alive is like all these interactions and you know the the beauty part about doing my job and doing the personal appearance because sometimes people are like, well, why do you still do that? Is that I get to meet people every day who are going through something or what it is, and it, that one connection, you know, I I find so important. You know, if, if some of my best friends I've met, you know, in a department store. You know? Really? <laughs> yeah, so crazy. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, Tim, this has been so fascinating, and um, I'm sure our listeners are just eating up every word you have to say, and especially this idea of like kind of you know thinking about where you are from a new perspective, right? Like, right. Um, 
if you're having a moment where something doesn't feel right, just like you're kind of regaging your perspective and rethinking things. Because you get one shot. And I said that in the beauty summit. I meant it to our, you know, our young makeup artists. I'm like, if you don't want to be here, like if this is not the job in your heart, then do yourself a favor and get out of it because you get one shot, you know? That's right. Um, we have one life to live, right? Yeah. Right. You want to make you're the Shirley most... McLean, but no. <laughs> <laughs> make the most of every single day. Well, Tim, this is so fascinating. I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us today. Oh, my today. pleasure. Thank you for having me. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Tim. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, please follow us on Instagram at Base Beauty Creative Agency. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.